if we have any veterans here, anyone who has served in any of the armed forces, could you just stand up for a moment? I, we'd love to recognize you. Let's, let's, give, a, let's give our applause to them. Thank you. I, we appreciate what you, what you have done and the freedoms that we continue to have because of what you've done. Well, let's get back into the book of Romans. We're in uh, the book of Romans, making sense of what matters most. And we're talking about the gospel, um, and everything that we just sang about. Uh, to just make sure we're all caught up on the same page, we, we begin the book of Romans with an in-depth study of the doctrine of sin in the first few chapters and, and how God is just to punish us because of our sins. And then we get into chapter, uh, chapter 3, about midway through chapter 3, and we begin to understand the doctrine of salvation. And we understand and we learn from, from the book of Romans that, that the salvation we receive comes by the grace of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We receive it through faith, and it is not something that can be earned or deserved by works. And then uh, we, we go into the process of sanctification, which, by the way, we'll be ending today. Uh, we'll be, well, we're not ending the process of sanctification today. We'll be ending the study <laughs> of the process of sanctification today. Some people, I, I saw a couple people, yes! <laughs> All right. No more trying to get better, right? <laughs> and, uh, but we'll be in the, in, uh, finishing the process of sanctification in, in uh, Romans today. Uh, but to help understand where we've come in that so far... We've really talked about two extremes. If we put liberty in the middle of the pendulum, and liberty is that freedom that we have in Christ, if we go to one side, we have what we call license, right? And, and the idea is that we, grace becomes a license to sin. And we see that as soon as we enter the, the sanctification uh, process of, of Romans, the first question, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the, abs uh, the absolute answer to that was no. And the idea behind it was that the law is, is good, we understand that, and obedience to the law is good, uh, but if there's grace, then we don't really have to obey the law, right? We don't have to obey the law, but what we find, as we, we have studied in, in chapter 6 and the beginning part of chapter 7, is that there's, it's still bad news for us. Why? Because sin, on its own, sin has negative consequences. We've talked about slavery to sin. We become slaves to sin. We lose that liberty that God has in store for us. Uh, and also there's the shame that comes from sin. And so we can get tangled up in all of those things. But we also found out last week in chapter 7 that in an attempt to, to avoid the consequences of license, sometimes we often fall into the pitfall of legalism, right? The opposite end of the, of the spectrum. The, the concept there uh, was that if the law, disobedience to the law is bad and brings negative consequences, well then obedience to the law is good. And so why don't we just, uh, just really, by beginning to focus on our outward behavior, we, let's just live up to the law, right? And, let's just, and everything will be good. But what did we find out last week? Find out that we're weak. That there's an in, inward battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. And we don't, we can try to say we're just going to obey the law, uh, but it doesn't work out. We end up disobeying the law anyway. And so either of those two extremes are abuses of God's grace. Does that make sense? And so that's where we left off um, last week with this internal battle between the flesh and the spirit. Um, 
the, the spirit has the desire to do what is good and the desire to do what is right. It hates evil. But on the other side, we have the flesh that loves evil. It's selfish. And in fact, we learned last week that no good dwells in the flesh. None. And so we've got this battle going on uh, between us. And, and Paul very descriptively talked about, uh, uh, about that. He uses the analogy of the body of death. Last week we talked about the body of death is and how it was a Roman form of, of punishment where if a person guilty of murder, they would actually chain the dead body of the victim to the person and, and chain hand to hand, foot to foot, and, and, and so there was no way to get rid of them. That's how Paul described the flesh. He's saying, I don't want it to be there, but it has its effect on me. And just as the Roman torture uh, had an effect on the person, so the body of death that we have. And so we find um, uh, in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That would be a horrible way to end a chapter, right? But we, we don't end there. We have verse 25. And if you look at chapter 7, verse 25, the last verse of the chapter says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer to it is through Jesus Christ. How do we get rid of this body of death? It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, what does that look like? Um, I mean, when you, when you think about that, it, it, what this, the point of this is that one cannot start the process of sanctification without first experiencing salvation. What I mean by that, sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like who we need to be. Becoming more and more like Christ. In fact, I've heard people say to me before, I can't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior right now because I've just got way too many sins in my life. It doesn't make any sense. You're thinking about it the wrong way. Because you can't overcome those sins and, and work your way to earning salvation, can you? You have to begin with salvation and then you can work at sanctification. Right? Uh, you can't say, well, I am going to try and accept the Lord when I'm a little bit better so, he doesn't have, so I don't have quite so many sins to forgive. That's bad thinking, isn't it? It's bad theology. And so Jesus Christ has, has liberated us from the body of death, has liberated us from that, from that flesh. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? How, how, do, how do you put that into practice in the day-to-day -day life? And that's what chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 is all about. So, so let's, uh, let's go to, to, uh, to chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1. Romans 8, 1. There, there is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let those words sink in there. Two words, no condemnation. Think about that for a minute. The, the, the theological implications, the practical implications. For those who are in Christ Jesus, what does it say? There is no condemnation. And so when we think about that, boy, that's a huge, huge impact. In fact, when we think about this in the context of salvation and then in the context of sanctification, which we're talking about now, in the context of salvation is that it's not necessarily true. Because prior to salvation... If you, if you get in, engaged in the activities of license, which is indulging in sin and saying, I don't care that God says there's sin, I'm just going to indulge, right? You do that, 
Uh, or if you go to the other side and, and, and you, you, you involve yourself in legalism, saying, I'm going to try and obey all the law and do the best, and, you, and pride puffs you up, guess what? You fail and you, and, and, you, and you mess up. So whether it's license or legalism, what's the ending point prior to, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, if you get involved in either of those two extremes, which everyone does, where do you end up? Death. There's condemnation, right? That's what condemnation means. And so, so there's death. But once Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, things change. If you find yourself in either of those extremes at the moment, what does Romans 8, 1 say? There is, therefore, now, no condemnation. So is there, do, do we die for that? Do we, do we spend eternity in, in hell because of, of, of a sin or because of legalism? No. According to Romans 8, verse 1, the answer to that is, is no. Now, I'm not saying, in fact, Paul does not say that there is no consequence. Did you notice that? He never said there is, not, therefore, no consequence to those who are in Christ Jesus. Does he say that? I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. In fact, in chapter 7, we see all sorts of consequences of falling into those sins. But there is no condemnation. Let me give an illustration. And, uh, and I hope you're not sick of rock climbing illustrations. But I'm going to give a rock climbing illustration. All right? I love rock climbing. It is a lot of fun. Um, and so for the sake of the illustration, let's assume that the bottom, where you, where you begin, this is where we are by nature. All right? We're selfish. We're, this is where we start. And, and then the top is where we want to be. Right, that's the analogy, where we want to be spiritually. Okay? And so we're going to use this analogy, starting at the bottom, because I've never known a climber who sees a, a cliff and says, oh, let's go to the top and see if we can climb down that. Right? Just, it's just not the way it works. You start at the bottom and say, I want to, let's see if we can get to the top of that. And, and so top is where we want to be. The bottom is where we are by nature. What's wrong with this next picture that I show you right here? All right. Here's a rock climber very talented rock climber, uh, but there's one problem, major, major problem with what he's doing there. And in fact, the technical term for this, the biblical term for this is foolishness, <laughs> right? Because there's something missing in this picture. Now, see if you can catch it uh, uh, when I show the next picture in a moment. But, but what it boils down is that in this picture, what's missing? In fact, you can see the picture on the right, as I used in the background. What's the biggest difference? Besides the fact that one is completely upside down, right? What's missing? The rope. The rope is missing. Exactly. One mistake equals death. Right? One mistake equals condemnation for him. Right? Now, uh, Pastor Dennis saw this, uh, this because he was making sure that we'd be able to put, to put it up on the screens. He says, I'll bet you that right underneath his feet where you can't see, there's probably something that he can land on. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> All right? It's possible. But let's assume for the sake of that... That he's just climbing like that without any ropes. One mistake can equal death. All it is is climbing something where you run out of strength and you fall. You know, professional rock climbers, they do this. They get too much confidence in themselves. They think they can do it, and it happens all the time. And they, think they put all of their trust into a rock, and then they, they put their weight on that rock and realize that rock wasn't as solid as they thought, and it falls off, and they fall with it. Right? Um, so one mistake equals death. That's why it's foolish to climb like this. Isn't it? Yeah. Now let's com compare that with the picture of, on this next one. Here we have this man. All right? And he's climbing. What's the biggest difference? Yeah. 
yeah, he's got a rope. All right, he's got a rope. Uh, now, is it still an overhang? Sure. Is it difficult? Yeah. But I'll bet you he's having a lot more fun, <laughs> right? Well, maybe I shouldn't say fun, because a lot of people have fun doing what they're doing until, until it's too late, right? But I'll bet you he feels a lot safer than the person in the first picture. Why? Because with the ropes there, now there is no condemnation. One mistake equals what? One mistake equals maybe a few scratches. In fact, in, with this angle, he'd probably fall in such a way he wouldn't even hit the rock. Probably no scratches, but there's still a consequence that he would probably have to go all the way back down to the bottom and start over. Right? So there are consequences, but, but there is no condemnation. In fact, I would venture to tell you with certainty that the man in the first picture had to do this an awful lot before he could even learn to become, be able to do what he was doing in the, in the first picture. Why? Because you have to learn in a context where there is no condemnation. And that's what, what, what Jesus is offering to us. It's that, that freedom to climb, that freedom to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes so that we can continue to, to grow. I want to share uh, just a little story about my brother Steve and I. We used to climb at a place called Planet Rock. This was uh, right before I got married. I was a youth pastor, so I had a little more free time. So I would go there. In fact, my parents are here too. Two times a week, easy, sometimes three, right? And, uh, and my brother would go with me a lot, and we had some friends, and, and we, would go, we would go to this place called Planet Rock. It's an indoor climbing gym. And they had this one climb in the corner that would, it would go straight up for a little while, and then after about 12 feet or so, it would go at a 45-degree angle backwards. So you have to climb backwards. And it would do that for another 10 or 12 feet or so, and then it had another joint where it would go completely upside down, right? And it would do that for about 8 to 10 feet, and then there was a 90-degree angle go straight up. And uh, now if we had just decided, hey, let's try that without ropes, what do you think would have happened? Yeah, we, we, would have, we would have fallen, and, and, and probably we wouldn't have even made it high enough to fall to our death. We would have only made it high enough to fall to break our legs, and that would be the end of it, right? But, but instead, we used ropes. We had to take a special course that taught you how to top rope, and, or not how to top rope, how to lead climb and put, put in your gear as you go and so on. And so that gave us the freedom then to start climbing and learning. Because we'd start climbing, and, and then you realize, oh, when you climb in a 45-degree angle, you have to have a lot more strength in your fingers than you did climbing straight up. And so we'd, 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 we'd do it, and we'd fall. We'd do it, and we'd fall. But we're building up finger strength, right? And then we get to the part where, where it started to go upside down, and we'd, our feet keep falling off. We don't know. And there's new techniques. So we went, we'd go down to the, what they call the cave, where it's, it's just rocks all over. And, and so we could practice being upside down. We'd practice. We'd learn new techniques. We'd ask some of the climbers, hey, how did you do this? And, and, and we'd find ways to do toe clamps so we could do anything we could to, to learn how to climb upside down. And we thought, oh, this is great. And then we get to that, that we finally started able to do that to where we got to that corner. How do, you, how do you get over that loop? Get to going straight up again. And we started having to build up new muscles and, and working out in different ways. And, and, and we just, we wanted to conquer that thing, right? And, and, uh, and so I remember when we, we tried some different things and, and when finally, and we both got it on the same day where we were able to make it over that loop and we got to the, to the top and we were able to, to hit the chains at the top, which is kind of a tradition. And, and uh, wow, that was an exciting thing. It took us months to do that, though. 
you know how many times we fell? More than I could count. And every time, every one of those, every time that we had fallen, had we not had ropes, it would have been a big deal. But with ropes, there was no condemnation. Do you see how, how essential it is to be able to be in an environment where the condemnation is already paid for in order for us to really grow? Right? Imagine if God punished us for our sins like we deserve every time we sinned. Would we ever have the opportunity to learn and grow? We wouldn't. And, and so, so God, by giving us no condemnation, is giving us the freedom to climb, to make mistakes, to, to learn, and, and to learn from those mistakes and grow. It's an essential part. Now, someone might ask then, what if I don't want to climb? Right? What if I just want to keep my feet on the ground? I, I heard that. Who said that? Someone said amen over there. And honestly, in the context of rock climbing, that is perfectly fine, right? How many of you want to keep your feet on the ground? Any, okay, so more than half of you. All right. Uh-huh. So yeah, of course. Now, take this back to the analogy for a moment, though. It's really like asking, what if I just want salvation? What if I really don't want to be like Jesus? What if I don't want to change my life? What if I don't want to, to get up there? I want to stay down here, right where I am by nature. Is there a problem with that? Yeah, there's a, there's a definite problem with that. It's kind of like saying, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I just want to be a saved person. Because the word Christian means someone who's striving to be like Christ, right? So is there such a thing as an unsaved Christian in that sense? It doesn't make sense. No, a Christian is someone who's striving to become like Christ. And so, so that, that's why it, 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 it doesn't make any sense to say, well, I just want to stay down here. I don't want to grow, so I don't have to worry about it. Like the guy who said, I don't, I don't struggle with temptation. I just give in. No struggle, right? And, and that's, that's not the way it looks. Remember that everything that we're talking about here, no condemnation, that there's a qualifier on there. there in fact, it says, there is therefore no condemnation to whom? To those who are in Christ Jesus. So you have to be in Christ Jesus or there is condemnation. It's, and if you think that there's not condemnation, then you have a false sense of security. I was climbing once with one of the kids in the youth group. And, and you, you have to tie the knot into what they call a figure eight. And then you take, your, take the rope and you put it through your gear and your, your harness and so on. And then you weave it back through the figure eight and you have a nice solid knot. He did everything right except for one thing. He forgot to slide it through his gear. So he had put his rope in, got distracted. He pulled the rope out the same way it went in. So it was basically just tucked in. And then he, he put the rope through. Tie the knot correctly. But we have this tradition in rock climbing that, that the person who's belaying will check the knot of the person who's climbing. The person who's climbing will check the belaying gear of the person. And we check each other's gear. It's just a way to double check everything. And so I looked and I said, I said, Eli, you're not even connected to that, to that rope. It's just tucked in your... I should have said his name. should have said his name. <laughs> anyway. Uh, sorry, Eli. <laughs> and so he tucked it in. So I'm like, Eli, y- yank on that rope one time. Okay. And he yanks on it, and it came right out of his belt. That's a false sense of security, but I hate to say it. I, I believe there are probably people, even in this room today, that believe that they're saved, believe that they're in Christ, 
thinking that there's no condemnation and you're climbing without a rope. That's a scary thing. And I would not want anyone to leave today without knowing for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they're in Christ Jesus. That everything we sang about this morning is true of you. Right? And so that's why I think it's important that we understand it. And how Paul not only tells us that it's for those who are in Christ Jesus, he, des- he describes who's in Christ Jesus. Same, same context. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who, what? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you're in Christ Jesus, it's going to change the way you walk. You believe that? It's going to change the way that you walk. Why is this true? It's because true converts are, well, converted. Right? That's what the word conversion means. Right? That there's change, it implies. There's a new inner drive. Sometimes at the outside, we don't see that inner drive. We don't know the inner struggles. And so that's why we don't take it upon ourselves to judge who's saved and who's not. That's up to God, right? But when a person genuinely accepts Jesus Christ, there's a new inner drive that, that, that takes place. Because they're truly converted. Let's uh, continue in verse 2. Uh, so those who are in Christ, we find are, uh, they, they do not walk according to the flesh. They walk according to the spirit. Let's look at verse 2 through 4. We read, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Remember what the law of sin and death was? That we follow, by our, by, we follow our natures, we end up doing what's wrong, and it leads to death. He's saying we're free from that. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's this point? The point is very simple. True converts are converted. The, the Holy Spirit, the, he comes in you and gives you a new life. He's, he's put to death the members of the flesh and given you new life. So bottom line, what does that look like? How, how do I walk in the Spirit? You might be asking, well, how, how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, let's look at what he says in verses 5 through 8. We read, um, starting verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That means it's an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What is it all a matter of? It's all a matter of where we put our minds. That's what he's saying. You want to know how to win that battle between the flesh and the spirit? Then you have to choose with your mind. Where am I going to put my mind? Right? In fact, in one of the courses that we, that we have here, and some of you have taken it here, um, called um, Overcoming Stubborn Sins. It's one of the servant leaders' courses. Uh, we, we talk about how do you, when, you, when you make a choice between right and wrong, what's, what's really going on? And there's what we call the behavior cycle, and, and, uh, um, and it has everything to do with where we put our mind. When, when we think, think about it this way, if we begin with character, you know, our character will control our thoughts. Isn't that true? Uh, if, if you have bad character, an opportunity is going to come up, and the way you see that opportunity is going to be determined by your character. 
I remember one time when we, had, we got a check from the government for $1,100 because they said that we did our taxes wrong and that we, we, we did it in their favor and so that they owed us $1,100. We recognized that they are the ones that made the mistake and we did owe them that $1,100. If you have poor character, you're going to see that situation and you're going to say, opportunity, right? If you have high character, then you're going to look at that opportunity and say, we need to call them back. And it wasn't easy. Monica called them, how many times? Probably five or six times, talking with them until finally the lights came on and like, oh, now we get it. You're right. Yeah, don't cash that check. <laughs> we weren't. Right. So character will determine our thoughts. And our thoughts then will determine what? Our actions. Our thoughts will determine our actions. And uh, if I had time, I would develop each of these, but I want us to see how what Romans 8 is saying, how it affects this, this part of the cycle. Then our actions over time will become habits, and then our habits develop our character. And in that, by that cycle, we either get, continue to get worse and worse, or we continue to get better and better, right? But when you recognize yourself in this cycle, and say it's a cycle of sin, and you, and you find yourself in this cycle, where do you go to solve it? Well, if we, if we start with character, if we just were to start there and say, today I'm just going to be good. I'm done being bad. I'm just going to be good. But you haven't changed anything else. What is that? That's called self-deception, isn't it? See, if we start there, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. Like 1 John 1, 8 says. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Right? You can call yourself good. It doesn't make you good. Or 1 Corinthians 3.18 says the same thing. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Yeah, if you think you're wise, you, you can't just think yourself wise. Right? And, and so it doesn't work that way. Well, what about habits? Maybe we should start with habits. People say, I know this is sin, but I'm going to cut down on it. Right? So I, I'm not going to... I'm still going to allow the sin, just not so much, right? So it might be the person who says, well, I'm only going to get drunk on the weekends, right? Because normally I get drunk three or four times a week. I'm, I'm only going to get drunk on the weekends, okay? How well does that work out? It doesn't, because what we find in Scripture, and there, I'm not even going to give you a bunch of verses for it, because I know you know this, uh, is that we discover that sin tends to grow, it doesn't shrink. It's like saying, oh, we've got this beautiful garden. I think I'm going to plant just a couple of weeds. <laughs> All right. Sin doesn't work that way. Right? It grows. It, it, it expands. And in the moment you allow something in your life, it's just going to continue to grow. And then you have those who say, well, maybe we should just start with actions. And, and, and this happens every January 1st, right? And it doesn't work. I've told you multiple times the story of going to the going to the gym and on January 1st it's crowded and the guy says don't worry in a couple weeks it'll be back to normal right? why? because people tend to, to focus on when they focus on their flesh the flesh is weak flesh, it doesn't work that way and, and it's kind of like a hose and, and if you don't want the water to come out one end of the hose you can take your thumb and in your own strength try and stop the water come out, coming out but what happens when you do that? you get everyone around you wet right? <laughs> And even if you are strong enough to put your thumb in and stop it, eventually you're going to run out of strength when the answer is to go all the way back to the spigot and turn it off, right? That's what we're finding in Romans chapter 8 here 
is that spigot really goes back to the thoughts. And this, is, this, is, this changes everything. And when we, when we concentrate on our thoughts and we focus on, a, on, the, on the thoughts, we reverse that cycle. I mean, isn't this what Paul, the same author of Romans, wrote about in detail in Ephesians chapter 4? He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk, same word that we have in Romans, walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. That's, that's where, it's, it's in here, that's the problem, Right? It's the inner battle that's going on. Having their understanding darkened. It's mind talk. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, mind talk, that is in them because of the blindness in their heart. It goes on to say, and, and the positive side in the same chapter says, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Where's the answer? In the truth. Right? The truth goes into the mind instead of falsehood. And here's the process that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we talk about sanctification, how do we do it? We start taking the lies that we were believing and we start filling that void with truth. Right? And we renew our minds. We change the way we think. Uh, and and, uh, and that's, that's what's going on. With, the, with the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, we have to understand our flesh is deceitful. That's what Ephesians 4 says. They're deceitful desires of the flesh. That means there's lies in there. And we start focusing on the truth. And the more we start bringing the truth into our minds, guess what's going to happen? It's going to change our actions. Those actions over time are going to become habits. And those habits are going to form our character. And now the cycle's working for us instead of against us. That's what Romans 8 is telling us. And, uh, and so we have to learn to start listening to our, to our spirit instead of listening to our flesh. Imagine yourself in a, in a corn maze. It's easy to do in this time of year. There have been a lot of corn mazes. And, and, and you can see maybe a big sign, and you can, but you can't see the maze. And your flesh is going to say, I think I should turn right when maybe really you should turn left because it's in the direction that you think it ought to go. But someone who knows the maze, or maybe someone that's up in a tower can see the entire maze, yells out, don't turn right, turn left. And you turn right anyway, and it leads you to a dead end. And then you come back, find your place, yourself where you started, and you say, I think I'm going to try the way that that guy said. And after a while, you start getting the idea, I think that guy can see the whole maze. Right? And that's the way we have to understand that it is. Our flesh is going to lead us in the wrong direction every time. But God, who sees everything, who understands everything, is saying, oh, do, do this, do that, do this. And we start to learn to listen to the Spirit. Does that make sense? And, and so that's how that, that battle uh, can be won. We start, we start um, to see it for what it is. Some of you might say, but, but what do I do? Um, I mean, I know that the flesh and the Spirit disagree. I know that we're supposed to learn to listen to our Spirit instead of our flesh. But what do I do when when the, my flesh still desires to sin, right? Flesh still desires to sin. Let's look at the, the last three verses of our passage for today to answer that question, verses 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let me start that over again. I want those words to sink in. 
But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow. A lot of theology in these three verses, isn't there? When you look at, at, at those three verses, there's a lot. But the idea is that God will put the desire in you because the Holy Spirit comes in you and now you're going to have an inner drive to do what is right. And guess what? God never fails. That's why we can say that there's going to be change. It's not because we can say, oh, I, need to, I know I have to really, really change so, so in order to prove my salvation. No, it's not about that. It's if your salvation is genuine, then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and he's going to change you. He's going to give you an inner desire. You're going to look at things differently. To go back, if you don't mind me going back to the rock climbing illustration for a moment, when I caught the bug for climbing, and I started climbing, I looked at everything differently. In fact... You know, walking downtown, if I walk down in any downtown, anywhere, uh, there's a large city, um, I will sometimes get distracted. You can ask those who know me well. In fact, a lot of them are in the front row. I'll look at buildings, and I'll be looking at them, and I'm not admiring the architecture. What am I thinking? In fact, ask my, what am I thinking? Think, can I climb that? <laughs> I look at buildings, and I think of them as, as challenges. Like, you know, and there are buildings, you know, even in, in Grand Rapids, I look at it and I say, I think I could do that, right? Why? Because I love to climb. And, and, and there's that inner desire, right? There's a sense in which God is saying, I will give you that inner desire to become like Christ. You're, you're going to have that inner desire, and you're going to start seeing things around you, and you're going to look at them a completely different way. You're going to see someone accomplish something great, and someone gives them a compliment, and then they respond with humility, and you're going to say, wow, I see Christ in that humility. I want that. And you're going to start working on humility, right? Or you're going to, you're going to see someone else do something great for, for the Lord. And he's, wow, I see what he's doing there. I want, I want some of that. You know, and, and, and you're, going to, you're going to see someone showing selflessness and, and, and giving to someone in need. And you know the sacrifice that they're making because they're not a rich person. You're going to see them cover the needs of someone else. And you're going to say, wow, that's, that's selflessness. I see Christ in that. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to do that too. Why? It's because God puts that inner desire in us to become more and more like Christ. Right? And, and uh, if your salvation is real, because notice what he, he said verse, uh, in verse um, 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Or as he says even back in verse 9. But you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so the first thing we have to do is, is think through, if we don't have that inner drive, that, that, that inner drive, then we have to rethink our salvation for a moment. Right? It's, wait a minute. If I, if I am content to live according to my flesh, according to what I desire, and I have no desire in me to, to climb, then maybe I'm not a climber. Right? And so we have to understand that that's what God is saying to us. 
it's, it's, it's quite simple. Before salvation, our mistakes were fatal. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Our mistakes were fatal. All of us have done them. Everyone is condemned. But for those of us who are in Christ, Christ is now going to, to instill a desire. He's going to put his Holy Spirit inside of us so that we will want to, to continue forward. Now, are we perfect at that moment? No. But now, when we fail, there's no condemnation. We just have consequences. We pick up the pieces, bandage our scratches, and we try again because we have that, in, that inner drive. And I'll tell you what, if you want to become like Jesus Christ and you really try, you're going to fail multiple times over and over and over again. Just like my brother and I failed multiple times over and over again. But you're going to improve. And God, you're going to see how Christ takes you from one place to another place to the next place to the next place. And, and, and it will be amazing what God can do through you. And you'll recognize, this is not me. This is Christ in me doing all of these things. That's what Paul said, isn't it? Did Paul do some pretty amazing things? Yeah. But what did he say? It's Christ in me. It's not I, but Christ doing all those good things in me. This is what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in you. That gives us the freedom to try, the freedom to fail, the freedom to grow because of that. What about you? I have three questions I'd like to, to ask you today. What, what about you? Number one, do you have that inner drive to become more like Christ? Do you have that inner drive? Is there something in you that says, I want to become like Christ? Because if not, and this is not me speaking, this is Paul speaking under inspiration of God. If not, the Spirit of God is not in you. Now, I want you to know that because if there's anyone in here that, that thinks that they've accepted Jesus Christ because they said a prayer or because they said some magic words, there's nothing in the Scripture that says that. We, it's a conversion. It's accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a completely different thing. And so if the Spirit of God has not entered into you, is not pushing you forward, then, then there's a good chance that there's something that needs to be clarified today. I've got great news for you. Today, we'll give you an opportunity to know that information. Right? In just a few moments when we, when we stand and sing, if you are not 100% sure that you are saved, say, Pastor Dave, I don't think I have that drive. I want that drive, but I don't think I've got that drive to be like Christ. I'm not 100% sure if, if, I, if I'm saved. Then you can come forward or you can go back either way. And we'll have people at the back, a little lanyard that says, ask me, and just say, how can I have that inner drive? And they, they'll walk through the scriptures with you so you could leave today knowing for sure you have eternal life. Amen? Amen? And so I want to make sure that no one walks out of here without understanding that. Second question I want to ask, and this is for those who, who know for sure that you're saved. You, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt already. The second question is for you. Have you been condemning yourself instead of learning from your mistakes? Sometimes, and I've fallen into this before too, where I struggle with a sin and I give in to a sin and I, I know that the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But then I beat myself up over it. Like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm not earning my sonship, right? I'm not earning my relationship with God. Guess what? We can't earn that relationship. And if we really believe in what Jesus Christ did for our salvation, it should be easy for us to believe that in our sanctification, if God forgave us for every sin we've ever done at the cross, then when I make a mistake now that's already been forgiven, do you think, do you think God can still work with me? Yes. yes. And we're all sinners, right? 
No, we're all in the same journey. We're in, if, if, we're, if we're believers, we're in that journey of becoming more and more like Christ. But I guarantee you, I'm not there. I guarantee you. None of you are here. My dad might be a lot closer to there than I am, but he's not there. He's shaking his head. Why? Because we're, we're sinners. Don't condemn yourselves. There is therefore no condemnation. I don't know about you, but those are celebration words. There is no condemnation. If you are, are, have, have checked through the first question, you know for sure you're saved, then, then, then there's great news for you. There is no condemnation. That doesn't mean go sin. That doesn't mean go walk out of here like, oh, great, I can go sin. No, because there are consequences for it. But as you have that drive to become more and more like Jesus Christ, um, God's going to help you overcome those sins. Right. And you'll fail sometimes. But God's not done with you. He's building up strength. He's, he's getting you going. And the third question I want to ask you is, have you been listening to your spirit or your flesh? Maybe it's the other end of the spectrum. And, 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 you, and you say, you know what? I know that this is sin. I know some things are sin. But I'm just listening to the flesh instead of the spirit. I'm doing what I want to do. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, hey, and he's, if he's putting that drive in you again say, and reminding you of that drive, you're not going to become like Christ if you keep giving in to those sins. Then right now is the time to deal with that sin. Whatever it might be. I'm not going to pretend to be the Holy Spirit. He does a much better job than I do at that. If he's telling you something right now, that there's a sin in your life, something that's going on in your life that you need to change, today is a day to repent of that. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we can keep climbing. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads as we pray.